And we are live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special show today. I'm so excited and delighted to be here with Lehman Baird. He is the founder of Hedera. How are you doing, Lehman? Happy Friday. Hope you're well. I'm doing well. Thanks. Happy Friday. Excellent. Very happy and very delighted to have someone of your stature on the show today. And what I'd like to take the audience through and what I'd like people to get some, some exposure to is what does it take to grow a blockchain, a blockchain ecosystem? What's the Hedera journey been like? And you know, with, with, I guess, a little bit more of a focus on the governance side towards enterprise, but also being decentralized and focusing Web3, how has that played out over what I think has been quite a challenging year for Web3 in general? Um, so, I mean, starting off for people who don't know you, could you give us a quick introduction and also for people who don't know Hedera, um, you know, how would you like to explain it to those who haven't come across the project before? Oh, sure. So I'm a co-founder of Hedera. Uh, we are a blockchain, a ledger, a distributed ledger technology, uh, DLT. So we're a ledger, we're an L1, but we are extremely fast, 10,000 transactions per second, uh, extremely secure, ABFT, and we can talk about more about what that means, and very low energy per transaction. We use less than anybody else. It's just amazingly, you know, 100 times less than a credit card. So this is what we have, is this technology, which is a small part of the puzzle. The other big part of the puzzle is our governance, which is transparent and trustworthy, and we can go into that. Uh, and then we have on top of that, our ecosystem, which is amazing. We have huge numbers of both small individual startups building on us and big enterprises building on us. And this is accelerating all the time. We're seeing huge growth in these things. And so uh, we can talk more about all these different parts of it, but uh, uh, that's what we're doing. This year, of course, we had a crypto winter that we've had several big failures that are famous. Uh, and this is true. We are getting through this, though. Uh, we as a community, I think, are going to end up much stronger as a result of what's going on right now. And we can talk about that, too, if you'd like. I'd really like to. Thank you for foreshadowing all of the topics that, that I was really excited to get through today. It's not like we've rehearsed or anything. So um, thank you very much for doing that. And again, the point here is really to present some calm, objective voices, people who are working at the center of Web3, who maybe can help kind of cut through some of the FUD or talk through or give some specific examples of what's actually happening. What are the drivers and barriers around this? And so let's let's start with uh, what I think is a, is a relatively straightforward question, but I think is multifaceted, as you might expect. Um, what does it take to build and scale a blockchain protocol? So uh, let's let's wind back to the start of Hedera, right? Where you were, we were, you, you had the first ideation around the technological technological differentiation, governance, and so on. You know, how did how did that genesis of Hedera happen? And what do you think were the most important things to help scale to where you are today? Yeah. So we started with the technology. We had Hashgraph, which is the only ABFT system in use at a major ledger right now uh, it has a lot of advantages. There's never a leader. You can't DDoS it. It's proof of stake, so it doesn't use lots of electricity. Lots of advantages to that. And then we, we started a private ledger company to sell this as a private ledger. And you can still do that today. You know, it's open source. You can use it for a private ledger. But then in 2016, we said, you know what? We should build a public ledger with the governance done right. A ledger is all about trust. And you could say, we'll just let random anonymous people run it and vote on it. But then the whales end up having control. You could say, well, vote proportional how many coins you have. But then the whales have control. And you never know who's going to be in control. You don't see how they're doing the processing behind the scenes, making the decisions. 
You don't see every ledger ends up with someone in control. Maybe it's a small group of developers and they just rise to the top of power and then they, they run it. They're controlling what the features will be, but you don't have insight into how they're making those decisions. You don't know who those individuals are. You don't trust those individuals. Or you can have proof of work systems where a dozen mining pools control it, the majority of the hashing power. You know, it's not very decentralized when it's a dozen people controlling it and you don't know who they are and you don't know how they're thinking and when they're making decisions, you don't know what the decisions were. This is not what we wanted. We wanted to build something where you could actually trust the governance and it would be truly decentralized, meaning split evenly among a large number of parties that are well known that when they meet, they publish the minutes. This is what we're talking about. And so what we said is that we would get the very largest institutions in the world, top 10 universities, top Fortune 100 companies on different continents, under different governments, um, in, in different industries, uh, all keeping checks and balances on each other. So do I trust one of them? Of course not. You should never trust any one party. But I do know that they're keeping tabs on each other. There's 27 of them. It was frankly, kind of crazy in, in 2016 to think that we were going to actually get a council of really big names. But now we've got three of the top universities in the world. We have Google and, and IBM and LG Electronics. We have some of the biggest banks in the world, the oldest bank in um, South Korea, Shenhan, the biggest bank in Africa, South Africa, um, in all of Africa, uh, Standard Bank, which is, which is in South Africa. Uh, FPOS is a household name for payments in Australia. Uh, not just that, we have uh, telecommunications, the biggest one in Europe, DT. We have Tata Communications in India, huge. We have um, uh, DLA Piper, one of the world's largest legal firms. So everything we've tried to do from the beginning has been trying to do the right thing legally, the right thing with regulation. Having these huge companies, you're never going to bribe them with a million dollars to do something that would destroy their name. That just won't happen. They're only going to do things that protect themselves. And anything they do on our ledger is very obvious. You can see them signing the transactions that update the code. The code can't be updated without them signing off on it, a majority of them. And so you have this great transparency. You have these huge parties that are all equal. So um, in another system that just moved as proof of stake, you have six, six parties are controlling the majority of the stake. And one party is controlling a third of it. With us, you have 27 totally equal parties. They're even diversified and decentralized in time. There's term limits on them. And so after six years, they'll roll over and you'll have new people. So we have, this was the, the goal in creating Hedera was to have this kind of governance. And what we were doing is we were saying, people need to be able to trust the, the ledger and the governance of it. And I think if we've seen anything this year, it's that you need governance by people who know what they're doing, who are transparent on everything they're doing, who are hyper-focused on being compliant with regulations and having things audited and doing things the right way. This is what the industry needs and the world needs. And so that's what, that's what we've done. Uh, it was crazy to think we'd get all of those, but we did um, somehow. <laughs> It was crazy to think we'd build a team of really top-notch people, which is the most important thing. And I am amazed at the team we have. And then it was amazing to think that we would get a huge community. And we have this enormous community now of individual people building things and then also enterprises now building also. And so we're seeing both. 
And uh, I just can't wait to see what the future is. Right now, we're in a crypto winter, and we see a crypto winter as the time to build. And so this is when we're building. We are hiring people as fast as we can right now, building so that when we come out of crypto winter, the world just explodes. Very good. Thank you so much for the introduction. And again, it, it's super helpful to think, I mean, we're, we're six years into this journey, which I mean, for, for decentralized technology is quite a long time, but at the same time for enterprise technology or for software as a service, that's actually a relatively short time. If you think of the, the gestation period and as, as far as it's taken for cloud infrastructure, for example, to penetrate still only about 20% of enterprise workflows, it's still a very, very small amount of the full potential. So it does still feel early in whichever metric you choose to use. Um, so that was the establishment of the technology, the establishment of the governing council. Um, we haven't talked about Swirls and Swirls Labs and, and the kind of bigger picture. So once you have the technology, what do you think have been kind of the major catalysts for attracting community or attracting projects to build? For people who don't know the inner workings of a layer one, what are some of the critical things that, that you've established or that you've seen have been successful so far? So how do you build an ecosystem around a ledger? I think is what you're asking. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you do need to have very good technology. So you need to be able to run at 10,000 TPS. You need to have finality in seconds. You need to have finality. You need to actually know when a transaction has gone through. Uh, you need to be able to um, have very low energy usage. So it's green, low carbon footprint. Uh, and we're actually carbon neutral because we buy uh, carbon credits and we buy extras so we're carbon negative. You need all of those things. But what you really need is a community that's excited about it and that's working on it. I met with a bunch of community members yesterday. It was just really fun uh, seeing all the things they're doing. You have a million ideas sprouting and they're doing these. We've had many hackathons and just amazing ideas come out of that. Um, there are accelerators that will help, help you grow your company when you're starting a new company. And so we have that. Um, it's been good that we decentralized. So we have Hedera. And then we've broken out other companies that are independent. So the HBAR Foundation gives grants. And then the Hashgraph Association gives grants and does education. We'll be doing certification. And you have the DLT Science is another uh, group that is uh, doing research. Uh, these are independent groups. Uh, Swirls Labs is another group. They're independently working. They're doing a lot of the development on the software. And then there's other companies doing the development of the software too. We have the community involved in how it develops. So the HIP process is important. Uh, and other ledgers have this too. But it, it's a, the process where you have the Hedera improvement process. Anyone can give a suggestion. And then the community discusses that dis suggestion. And then it gets implemented. And the council is not uh, for the purpose. The purpose of the council is not to decide all the new features. It's for the community to think of these features, to debate them, and then the council can decide which ones actually get implemented and what the optimal order is to do so with the guidance of the community. So the council then is the final arbiter of what ends up on the, on the thing. And you could say, oh no, it's centralized, it's one person. No, it's 27 people. And so this is what has been drawing people in. And then you have enterprise. We have huge adoption in enterprise huge amounts of POCs going on right now behind the scenes that I can't talk about, plus a, a large number of things that I can talk about. But the reason enterprise is interested is that we are extremely reliable. I heard one person say, when I, uh, consultants say, you know, when I sell my customers on different ledgers, they really like Hedera because it doesn't crash every 10 days. Okay, that's a good thing. Uh, it's also well-governed and enterprise appreciates that. Uh, it's also predictable pricing. 
that's just one little tiny feature. We have a lot of features that are unusual, but one of them is predictable pricing. This is important. When you do a transaction on the network, you pay for it with the cryptocurrency, HBARs, like every ledger does. You have to have that. But the price is denominated in U.S. dollars. And so you pay however many HBARs it takes to be that many U.S. dollars, and so you can predict. And so if you're building a business and you want to use ledgers, which you should, they can bring efficiency, they can lower your costs, but and increase trust, but you want to be able to predict what's it going to cost to be doing these transactions on the ledger. And so our transactions are extremely cheap, a tenth of a cent to move a token. A million dollar token costs a tenth of a cent to move it, uh, and a hundredth of a cent to move HBARs. But they're also predictable. And in many ways, that's more important than cheap. A lot of businesses would be willing to pay more just to be predictable because no one can go to their boss and say, hey, I want to do a project. And the boss says, great, how much will it cost? And you say, oh, I have no idea. Okay, that doesn't sell. Um, in a startup, of course you do that. And, uh, and in many ways, we're still in startup mode. But uh, when, you're, um, when you're a business, when you're a large enterprise, you can't do that. You have to have predictability. And so we've been able to get uh, uh, traction that way as well. Uh, so these are all the things that do it. It's, uh, it's interesting to me that in crypto winter and now these scandals happening, the big enterprises are saying, yeah, okay, that's what happens in an early industry. We're glad we're with someone reliable. We're glad with someone who takes auditing and transparency and regulatory compliance seriously. And, uh, and enterprises are saying, this is great. And then individual people building on us say, hey, this is great. You've got tools that make it easy to build on you. You interoperate with other ecosystems. And so they're like, they like to come in. Uh, the tools that you use to build things on Ethereum just work on us. The, the, the smart contracts just work directly. Uh, and then you can add new things like native tokens that are, go beyond your smart contract. So all of these things build, are building the community or bringing people in. And we've seen great traction in all these things. There's quite a lot in there, right? When we talked about grants, we talked about tech, we talked about community, we talked about governance, we talked about the functionality of the ledger, the, the coding languages, et cetera. There's, there's a lot in running and scaling a blockchain for sure. I want to double click a little bit on governance because with Hedera, clearly there's been a very deliberate move to have a different approach to governance, right? It still retains some of the decentralization principles, but also retains some of the trust in the brands. There's also what you might consider some sort of tenets of traditional democracy in terms of the the way that the governance council can only remain on the council for a period of time. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but for those who don't know, could you give us the kind of the quick 101 on how the council works? You know, how do, how do members get elected? How do they swap out? What are the things that they're involved in broadly? Yes. So this is the most decentralized governance of, of any of the major ledgers. Uh, the other ledgers, they say, well, everyone can govern, but what ends up happening is a small cabal ends up governing. That's just always what happens. What you need to do is to formalize it and to make sure that the people governing are people that you know and that you can trust to do what's in their own best interest in a way that is helpful for us. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to set things up so that you can trust not that they're good people, although they actually are good in many cases, but that they're going to do it to their own best interest and you align things so their best interest is your best interest. And so it's no one company. It's no one university. It's 27. And each of them owns an exactly equal fraction of Hedera. Anytime there is a code update to the mainnet nodes, it has to be digitally signed by the council. The network itself updates itself, and it will refuse to update itself if it has not been signed by a majority of the council. Anytime we want to change the price of a transaction or the amount of staking rewards, change the rate at which you get staking rewards, or we want to change um, 
the rewards to nodes for running a node, any of those numbers that want to be changed have to be changed by a transaction signed by the council. You could say this is on-chain governance in this sense. And so it's transparent and it is cryptographically baked in that no one rogue council member can do any harm. This is by design. It would take 13, uh, 14 rogue council members. And again, these are multi-billion dollar companies and huge universities, top 10 universities. They have a reputation to protect. They might do something bad, but they're not going to do something bad that they would be caught in, that they can't get away with. It's going to tarnish their name that isn't going to benefit them by very much. They have a strong motivation to do the right thing. Also, they are smarter than some of the scandals we've seen lately <laughs> in that they actually keep good records and they get their records audited and you know they follow best practices for a business they they they're acting like adults <laughs> it's you know they they're doing the 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 normal things uh, to run a project and they know what they're doing and so Hedera has uh, in addition to having to sign for the code and for all those numbers and to add new members uh, in new council members or remove council members, they have to sign for that. So the current ones have to agree to add a new one. In addition to all of that, they have committees. And so then they have these committees where they get together and they work through all these technical details. And, uh, and I'm on a couple of those committees. Uh, those are good. And then of course they have external, we've, we've split out multiple organizations for grants and for uh, education and for building the software and for doing other things. And so those are all uh, decentralized. And all the code is open source, of course, and, uh, and we'll see even uh, pushing uh, organization of that in the future. Um, so this is, this is how, the, how it works. We meet once a month by video and four to, uh, two times a year in person. And there's a board of directors that does an amazing amount of work. They meet, meet to four times a year in person. And the committee chairs meet four times a year in person. Uh, all of the uh, financial stuff is pu uh, published. Uh, lots of information about the council is published. It's on Hedera.com and you can go read all of that stuff. So it's not just a white paper written years ago. We have that too. But there's also all of these things published that you can watch what's going on. Thank you again for that, Lehman. And I, I kind of some of the points you mentioned, I, I guess, reference against some of the recent issues we've seen. The, the Ronin Bridge hack wasn't, wasn't a hack to the actual core source code. It was social engineering of a majority of the seven nodes that were operating, for example. So how do you believe you have greater confidence that an IBM or a Standard Chartered or whoever else, a Standard Bank or whoever it might be may have greater protocols to help prevent social engineering, for example, or that they've got um, better competence in fighting against that, probably. Governance attacks, you know, where a vote could be passed with, you know, 7% of the audience voting, right? The, the amount of tokens or the amount of votes you need to accrue in such a small voter turnout is going is going to be able to influence and has influenced decisions that have been made on pure on-chain decentralized governance which is disappointing to see and it's not necessarily a reason not to use fully decentralized governance but these are issues that we are facing today and i think it's it's important to be able to look at different perspectives on how we can address and, and, and fight against those things just a quick thing before we move on to the next question thank you everybody who's who's adding comments in the chat Please do let us know where you're coming from, where you're dialing in from today. Any questions you have for Lehman, we'll try and get through as many as we can towards the end of the show. So please do add your questions to Lehman about anything that he's worked on around Hedera, anything that's on your mind today, please do feel free and we'll try and get through as many of those questions as we can. So we've talked about what it takes to build a blockchain. We've talked about governance and, and specifically how Hedera is looking at it differently or in a different way to some of the existing chains out there. 
Let's talk about enterprise. Right? It's been a relatively interesting week in a week where we saw trade lens shut the doors. You know, one of the early stage kind of most, I, I guess, most advertised or poster child examples of this is the future of enterprise blockchain, huge consortia, big projects where, you know, you have these kind of customized private ledgers and so on. And I, you know, being a former IBM employee myself, I can look at that with some, I guess, some sadness and say, you know what, the problem was correct. The orchestration maybe not wasn't right. But then, you know, that doesn't that doesn't mean we're going to ring the death knoll for enterprise blockchain. What's your take at this point on whether or to what extent enterprise or industrial applications are going to help us get to a billion users in Web3 or more use of the decentralized web? What's oh, your definitely. view on things at the moment? Yeah, we're definitely aimed towards that. Um, business is using it. Interesting thing we've been talking to people is that in business, they have there used to be this idea that everything should be private ledgers. And they're moving towards thinking public ledgers. And you could say, well, why are they doing that? Well, part of it is that a ledger is all about trust. In a public ledger, you can trust. A private ledger, you'd have to have individuals running it, the nodes, and then you have to trust them, and you need a critical mass to trust it. That's that's one issue. Also, public ledgers have a lot of other advantages. Um, there's transparency for your users and things. And so it you could have imagined a world where everything's private ledgers, only a little bit on public, but it looks like it's going to be the other way around. Maybe lots on public ledgers, a little bit on private. Um, just... It's interesting that we've gone that way. I, I could have imagined history going the other direction, but it ended up kind of going that way. And there's a number of advantages of that. Um, Hedera actually has the Hedera consensus service, which in, in addition to letting you record things immutably, which is nice, it also allows you to stand up a private ledger that inherits the trust of Hedera. So it's a private ledger. It processes transactions. It puts them in order. But you use Hedera to put them in order. And so you can have Hyperledger, but then have, there's a plugin that lets Hedera be the ordering engine for Hyperledger. And so you inherit the trust of Hedera. And so if you trust even one node on the private ledger, or if you're running one node on the private ledger, you 100% trust what's going on uh, because you have Hedera doing the consensus. And we have a plugin for EEA and a plugin for Corda. Uh, we have you know, all these things. Uh, so that's, that is a way that you can use private ledgers and you can have the trust and the speed and the privacy because you can encrypt everything. So it's only encrypted things going to Hedera. And I do think there's a role for that. And I think we'll see it in the future. But we are seeing enterprises, at least right now, saying they are more interested in just using a public ledger than a private ledger. So I think we'll see both. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, um, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of interest in the gaming world, you know, you know, online games. And that's one of the places where I think we're going to see a mixture. We'll see public ledgers maybe for your, some of your assets, but maybe private ledgers will spring up during the game and just some of the players players will be running the private ledger for a little while and then they'll uh, leave and uh, you know the ledger will go away when they go away. I think we this might- This is an interesting one for me. I, I love this because there's a theoretical argument at least that a side chain peer-to-peer -peer network or peer-to-peer -peer chain is more cost-effective and performant than lots and lots of um, server calls, for example. Um, I've never tested, I've never run the maths on that, but it, it's an interesting one to explore. Well, when your main chain is, is Bitcoin, then a side chain is more efficient. <laughs> yes, you know, Lightning's going to be faster. If your main chain is a Hashgraph network, though, um, the side chain's not going to be any faster. So you might as well just use the, the main chain. It's going to be extremely fast. And then you're also going to have um, the ability to do sharding. If we ever get to 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever, we'll move to shards. So you can have as much speed as you need on, a, on the ledger. The reason to do a side chain that I was just describing was very short-term ledgers that only exist while you're playing the game and then they go away. And so for that, I think that it makes sense, not because it's more efficient, but because, 
well, there's only five people that need this ledger. They five people can run the five nodes. They're going to trust each other enough to be running the five nodes. And then, you know, after a, a few hours, it goes away. That kind of, of a private ledger may be interesting. And there's, of course, different kinds of private, private ledgers. You can have an L2, but then you can also have an AppNet, which is parallel. And then you can also have these other things. Um, a critical thing, though, is going to be communication between them. And for that, you need them to be able to send messages that you know for sure were the consensus of the sender. And so for that, you have people who are building bridges where you have validators in the bridge you have to trust. Okay, that's great now. But what I really like is to not have to trust the validators in the bridge. And so you need state proofs. A state proof is a way for there to be a small message from a ledger that's been cryptographically proven to be the consensus of the whole ledger. And so we're rolling that out this year as well. And that will also be important for these side chains and other ledgers to communicate where you know for sure that they believe what they're saying or that they agreed on what they're saying. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's what I think about side chains. It is interesting, though, that we're seeing uh, more interest in public ledgers right now in the uh, enterprise world. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice shift. And again, I'm, I'm not a particular maximalist for any particular form of architecture. It's more a case of saying we have technology capabilities and we should be using them to the best purposes we can for the best outcomes. When we get into gaming, when you talk about performance, finality, being able to create subnets or appnets um, specifically because you want to have, you want to host something in a metaverse somewhere, but you want the outcomes of that to be persistent or where you are issuing particular tokens that relate to drops in the game and you want to make sure that the drop rates are transparent so that you're not cheating the system or that the gamers can see that it's fair and it's that there's no there's no um there's nothing no, nothing going on that's inappropriate i think there's, there's a huge amount of interest what do you think is driving the change in perception from private to public it's all about trust if you don't care about trust run a single server done if you care about trust you want to go to a public ledger because you trust the nodes that are running it. So it's either you know, widely distributed stake and it's proof of stake or it's permission, but you have something like the council that's governing it, but you want to be able to trust it. And so right now, enterprises are legitimately saying, if we're going to do ledgers at all, we want to do trustworthy ledgers. Let's not just have five members of our consortium run five nodes and call that a ledger. Um, let's just go for one that we can really trust. And so you know they're going to Hedera and they're going to other ledgers because public ledgers are what you can trust. Now, you talked about, well, you can do something on a side ledger and then you can do it, um, you know, send it over to the main ledger. That's what an L2 does. And, and you can do that. And that, is, that makes sense. But um, if your main ledger is fast, you might as well just do everything on the trustworthy thing. And I do think we'll see uses of side ledgers and, and secondary things and private ledgers. That's not going to go away. But the main weight of the interest right now seems to be on public ledgers. Very good. And I'm going to ask you to build on the, the, the point. So we talked about gaming as one particular vertical that you're excited about, as am I. It's been spending about the last sort of three or four months of my time focusing specifically on trying to tell the story in a compelling way around gaming and, and decentralized technology, which we won't cover today because we've got to cover other stuff. Are there other particular verticals or applications that you're particularly excited that you're seeing particular growth in Hedera or in, in Web3 more generally where you're seeing more uptake or the use cases be particularly compelling? Sure. So gaming's fun. Ashfall is a triple A game coming out on Hedera that's going to be using NFTs on Hedera. I love that. That's so exciting. Uh, but but really, we're seeing a lot of different things. So one thing is tracking things. So Atma is a project that has literally billions of objects they're tracking and they're doing. They're going to be doing this on Hedera. Uh, they they did some tests where they were doing five thousand mints a second or five thousand transactions a second, and they were doing this for a long time and it was working well. And they're now going to be moving all of their stuff onto Hedera 
which is just really amazing. Uh, so we see that. We see markets for carbon credits and for green energy on Hedera. Big push is for ES ESG in the industry. And one of the reasons they like Hedera, in addition to everything else they said, is that it's green. Hedera itself has a, the lowest carbon footprint, according to a UCL study, of any ledger. Um, the lowest carbon footprint. And it's thousands of times lower than Ethereum even after the merge. So now that Ethereum has improved their energy usage, they're still thousands of times worse. Uh, and even your credit card is 100 times worse uh, than Hedera for energy usage. And then, of course, we buy carbon credits, credits and so we're carbon neutral, and we buy extra, so we're carbon ne negative. Uh, that's a big thing. Recording information is a big thing, like the provenance. Um, the health service in England uh, tracks COVID vials of vaccine that have to be kept cold. And as they move from location to location, they're always in a refrigerator that has a thermometer that's automatically recording temperatures back to us. And so you have this immutable record of what your temperature was all the way along the line. You can see if it was ever warm and maybe you don't want to get injected with that one. Uh, so this is the thing. Uh, there's people recording Holocaust survivor recordings. There are people who are doing news in war zones to help people understand not just news, but, you know, are bombs about to fall on you, letting them know that. All this stuff is happening on the ledger because the consensus service lets you very cheaply for a tenth of a cent record something immutably for eternity. Uh, and, and it comes in just a few seconds. You have finality in just a few seconds. You have know that it's there. And so we have all these verticals. Uh, we have things we're recording things. We have things where you are doing trading, uh, tokenization. Toco is a company that's building tokenization that is amazing. Tokenizing real world assets. So I'm not just talking about pictures of monkeys. I'm talking about real estate and art and fine wine and real, real things being tokenized. This is the future. Um, real DeFi based on real world things and assets, not just shell games moving crypto back and forth, but real world stuff. This is all coming now. Brilliant. One of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show and the run, one of the reasons I enjoy hearing you speak is that you're able to break things down in very clear, very simple, very easy to understand terms that are, that are very low on jargon. And as I'm listening to that, it's like, well, th this is how I would like the rest of the world to understand what we're building, what we're building with, because these are the tools, these are the capabilities, these are the problems that we're addressing. And speaking of problems and shell games and moving stuff around, I want to move kind of quickly onto the next question, which is, not specifically to, to kind of poke fun or to criticize the current state of affairs of where we are in the last month in Web3, but more to observe that over the last 12 months, we've seen a number of projects struggle. We've seen a number of intermediaries go under. What have you taken out of DeFi and Web3 issues in 2022? And what imperatives did that give you and the community for 2023? Right. It's not been failures of the technology necessarily, but we've seen a number of major significant parties fail. What have you taken from that? Yeah, I think it's obvious. You need good governance. You need uh, transparency. You need regulatory compliance. There is a fourth one. We need regulatory clarity. That would help. But in the cases you're mentioning, uh, it was pretty clear. <laughs> we had enough clarity to know what was right and wrong. This is what we need. Uh, we, we need to start treating this like a normal industry. In a normal industry, some of these things would never have been funded in the first place. Uh, and, and this is what we need. We need to grow up. As an industry, we are growing up. And these are growing pains. They are extremely painful. Many people are being hurt terribly and being wiped out by these things. These are tragic. And these are the growing pains of our industry. And as a result, we come out the other side and we don't do that anymore. 
We start having good governance. We start having transparency. We start, you know, obeying the laws, stuff like that. And so our industry comes out far stronger. And so I hate this. I hate the scams. I, I just yesterday was hearing about even more scams. I, I hate that. Um, and we need to do everything we can as a community to band together, to stick with things that are trustworthy and to only trust things that deserve our trust. And then we will come out the other end stronger. And so, and I hate that. I hate that we're in a crypto winter, but we'll come out of that stronger and the crypto winter will come back. And I just think that right now we are just doing some house cleaning. Maybe we have some more house cleaning that needs to happen. I don't know how many more dominoes will fall, but we will come out at the end much stronger as an industry. And I am convinced every area of society will use ledgers for part of it. It's not that everything will be on a ledger, but every piece of society will use ledgers for at least part of what they're doing. All of finance, all of economy, all of social, all of government, every part of society will be using ledgers for at least part of what they're doing. It is inevitable. And there are a lot of people who understand this. And although all these scams are very unfortunate, they don't change that. They don't change the future. They're just another step on the way to that future. That's a nicely put. And I, I like the way you kind of mentioned that we should trust in the things we can trust. And I think a big part of the learning experience in Web3 is that we assume that because everything is trustless, it's trustworthy. And that's not quite, if you look at Luna, 3AC, FTX, a lot of what was what, what the issues were was poor governance or um, nefarious behavior from market intermediaries that were the interface between Web3 or crypto and retail. And these were essentially equivalent of banks or bank-esque entities that were behaving nefariously or that had poor governance and controls over how they, how, they, how they acted. And so any capital they were looking after, any funds that they were managing, as a result, were um, lost or misused. And that's not, that's not a failure of the technology. That's not a failure of the ledgers. That's not a failure of the smart contracts. Um, you know, one thing that is significantly stronger about Web3 is the fact that code can be audited. Code can be forked and reused. We can build on top of what we've created already. And when I look at what happens next, I think that's a big part of the story, is, is what we've created now already is spectacular. In six years or five years or 10 years, wherever you want to start the clock, all of that code is going to be there ad infinitum as well. And so, you know, this, the current state of play with Hedera is just the building blocks on which we do things better. The current state of Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. The winter is unfortunate because it's come at a time where we see, you know, a de declining economic performance, macroeconomic uncertainty. If you consider layer ones and layer twos to be high growth tech stocks, you know, high growth tech stocks aren't performing particularly well either at the moment. It's not that there is particular dissatisfaction or struggling with Web3. It's that everyone's struggling at the moment. And so I think it's important also to, to, to peel back a little bit and say, well, it's not just Web3 that's ha having a hard time. I think everybody is. I want to give one more question from my side before we then go to the audience's questions, because I can see a whole bunch of things filtering in. Lehman, at this point in time, right, we're getting towards the end of 2022, preparing for 2023. What advice would you give to anybody who's building, whether they're looking to build a DAP, whether they're an enterprise looking to use Web3 technology, or anybody looking to get into this space? What would be your kind of key guidance for people at this stage in the game? I'd say go for it. You are building the future. Um, go for it. And it isn't just the future. Uh, if you are an enterprise, you can save money right now and you can create new, new products that couldn't exist before right now. Um, so it's worth it. If you are um, just a small startup, you can create whole new things that have never existed. This is very exciting. In, the best way to go about it is <laughs> 
first of all, have good governance and transparency. Uh, try to do things the right way. If you're starting a business, it is a business. Treat it that way and, and treat it, follow best practices for businesses. Uh, also, find good uh, foundation to build on top of. So you do want a ledger that's ABFT and that is very fast and has predictable pricing. These are important things. Uh, make sure that you are doing that as a good foundation. Uh, it's good to use things like Solidity that are an industry standard so that you have all the tools available, all that stuff. So I would say worry about all that. I would say with any, okay, again, startups versus enterprises. With If an enterprise for any project you're doing, you want to see how is it going to affect your bottom line. Say, could I do this with a server? Is it actually useful to be using a ledger? And if the ledger is giving you something, and usually it's around trust, then do the ledger. But look at it carefully. And whenever I talk to someone, the very first thing I ask them is, now, could we really do a, a, just a single server and not even use Hedera? And I, that's the first thing I talk to them about. And then when I say, ah, oh, you have trust requirements that really do need a ledger, then I talk about, okay, how can we use Hedera? Uh, so don't just use it because it's a cool buzzword. Use it because it will actually be helping you in fundamental ways, which a lot of people are seeing. Uh, so I would say that. And if you're a startup, I would say all the, all the normal advice for startups. I've given lots of talks on startups before. But um, I would say look for something where there's a real need. Don't do something that's already a need that's already met. Find a new need that people aren't even aware that they have maybe, or they're aware of it, but they haven't seen your way of solving it. Try to solve a real need. And in our field, there's a huge number. Almost everything in the world hasn't yet been put on ledgers. So uh, it's a huge way that you can go. Um, spend some time picking the best one. Uh, Amazon was famous for this. When they said, hey, web looks cool. Let's do something with web. They actually sat down and said, of all the millions of things you can do on a web, what is the best one to do right now? Oh, a bookstore. Remember, Amazon wasn't originally what it is now. It was just a bookstore. And they very specifically thought that, not because they like bookstores, because they said, what's the biggest need that the web could actually do right now? Do that. Great advice. Pick, pick, pick a meaningful need and just go for it and, and build on good foundations. Solid advice from, that, from, from, from your perspective, Lehman. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to jump across to the Q&A. We've got as you might expect, quite a large number of questions piling up here. So I'm going to try and filter and try and get through as many as we possibly can. I'll start with what hopefully should be an easy one for you here, Lehman, from Matt. Question here is, how do you become a member in the council? Is there a voting mechanism? How does the process work? Yes. So as I said, one of the things the council does is chooses the next council member. The choosing of the next council member, of course, there's also a member committee that kind of looks at lots of possibilities and they get inputs from outside of recommendations of companies uh, to become a council member. One of the requirements that the council has in more recent years been uh, trying to do is to say, originally we would want anyone we could trust to be a council member. Now we want someone we can trust who also has a real application on Hedera. And so this is a big part of it. And so if you are doing biz dev or if you're an SI maybe, a system integrator, and you're working with companies and helping them to build onto ledgers, if you're building with a big company, and you can get them to build onto Hedera, and they're really uh, pleased with this, then you might talk about having encouraged them to become a council member. Or if you are a university and you're very much into blockchain and you would like to um, be doing research on Hedera and publishing things about Hedera, that's sort of the equivalent of a university building on it or building on it, either way, uh, or you know, having a use case, then uh, yes. You, would, you could uh, recommend that to us. You recommend it to the HBAR Foundation. You recommend it directly to anybody at Hedera. And it can end up going through CoinCom. And then ultimately, the council votes on it. Got that. Nice. And I like the idea that 
to some extent, we're already identifying potential prospective council members from those who already are making application with making applications or, or have interest and curiosity in the technology, because I guess you you've got the more upstanding members are already those who are experimenting and have have passion or interest in using it, which I think is a strong place to start. Question coming in here from Tanish, if I'm if I'm pronouncing that correctly from Canada. Uh, question around decentralization of nodes. So over time, how is Hedera looking at increasing the decentralization of the node network? Or is that something that's on your radar at the moment? So it is growing. Uh, we'll have community nodes this year. At least that's what we're, we're planning to do. And so we'll have uh, people adding nodes. Uh, so we'll be increasing the number of nodes. I would uh, I would say that our, our governance is very, very decentralized. The 27 people that you know is actually better than Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of these other ones. Um, but for the nodes... 27 is probably good enough to be pretty secure, but it would be nice, I think, to increase it. And so this year we'll be adding community nodes and we have this pipeline of, you know, we had community nodes and we had more and more and more, and then we go to uh, non-permission nodes. Uh, that's a, a whole uh, path. I have a video on that, of the, the path that we would follow. Uh, so we do have plans to do that. And we continue. I got, even yesterday, somebody was saying, oh, can I please run a community node? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for the ding from my messaging. Uh, hopefully no one will send me more messages while we're talking. Uh, so uh, yes, we are adding nodes uh, coming soon. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. We've got a question here from an anonymous user. So sorry, we can't attribute it or they specifically chose not to be doxxed, which, which is their privilege. And it's nice to see that being possible on LinkedIn as well as on Web3. Um, which sectors do you think will benefit more in terms of blockchain and use in enterprise. We talked about, I think, some kind of use cases. I know you're not allowed to have favorites, but do you see any, you know, if you look at a sector level, any particular ones which you think are, are ahead or have a greater have greater benefit at this point? Okay, I can't have a favorite child, but let's talk about tokenization. I think that in the real world, things of value are all going to end up tokenized. All real estate will be tokenized because why would you not want to be able to do title searches in a few seconds for free rather than taking weeks and costing you thousands of dollars and sometimes being wrong? Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want to be able to sell your house in a few seconds without an intermediary and know for sure that, that you're going to get the money and they're going to get the house? Why would you not want to do that? So I think that ultimately everything of value in the world gets tokenized. Now, I just mentioned traditional assets. The beauty of this is that it creates whole new kinds of assets that have never been tokenizable before. You will be able to tokenize little things. Uh, Galaxy is tokenizing things like even there are tokens that let you vote on what uh, shoes Spencer Dinwiddie will wear in his next game because there's a huge collector's market for shoes like that. Um, that is not something that has been a, an asset that in the past has been traded and sold and, and treated as an asset because it was too hard. Now you can do that. He's even tokenized his own future income. You can do all sorts of things that will be tokenized we've never even thought about before, but also everything of current value. You can also do things on a supply chain. You can be tokenizing little individual things that are coming down the supply chain, parts that you're in the process of building. And if you tokenize them, you can get loans against them. You can take accounts receivable and tokenize them and you get loans against them, which is really good. And then those loans could be automated where there's no human involved. This is sort of real DeFi. Not just a shell game with cryptos going back and forth, but real world getting money for my factory by tokenizing the parts that aren't even built yet or the, the accounts receivable. This is a big deal. It's taking all the stuff the world is doing now, but making it more efficient. That's what we're talking about. 
Nice. I like that second example because it's, it's not that we couldn't do that with servers and exchanges and websites and so on and so forth, but the ability to automate or to improve settlement reconciliation or access liquidity pools that are global and easy to integrate becomes much, much more powerful when you've got a decentralized ledger, public ledger and tokens, because then you don't have to worry too much about double spending. You don't have existence of data on multiple service at multiple times. It becomes much easier to scale that over time, which I think is an important realization or an imp important consideration for those. Um, I've got a good question here. I can't find the one I'm going to find. I'm going to find it and put it up in a second. Uh, but the question specifically was, can a country or a government be a council member on Hedera? We have not had any council, uh, governments or countries be a council member. So if Hedera wanted to change its policy, then the current council members would have to vote to change the policy. Uh, I think there were some concerns of um, if you only had one country, then what about all the other countries? That's not really fair. Um, that's part of the concern. Uh, also, there's just a lot of bureaucracy involved in getting a country involved. So uh, right now it is just uh, companies and universities that are council members. I can imagine a country someday, but I probably won't happen. Um, it's just, there's too many logistical hurdles and that sort of a thing. Sounds complicated for sure, but never say never. Never uh, say never. A, a, sp a specific one here from Sanaz. Again, we're probably, probably building on the examples from before. Um, are there any banking industry specific examples for Hashgraph? Absolutely. So um, stable coins are of great interest to a large number of banks. And we're talking with a large number of banks about that. Stable coins done right. You know, stable coins that are stable. That's a nice feature in a stable coin. Um, but you can do it right. You can do stable coins right. There was a POC between the two banks I mentioned, Standard Bank and Shinhan, where they were allowing someone who is working in South Korea and earns, earning South Korean won to send it back home to their family. And it gets turned into Rand for their family. By going through these two banks and by going through uh, these um, stable coins, they were able to do it in seconds at a very low cost. Whereas if you send a wire, it can take days and it can cost you $30 and they often will charge in US dollars the price, even though you're in two countries that don't use dollars. Uh, it's crazy, wires are crazy and it can do the change, the exchanging of the currency. So I think that this is a big deal and we are seeing a lot of interest in banks from that. Uh, and then, also, things like custody service, why couldn't a bank do that? And why can't a bank be involved in DeFi, real DeFi, not just sort of the shell game DeFi? Um, there's a lot of interest that we're hearing from banks, and that's maybe why our council has quite a few banks on it. Love that. Again, I think the, the involvement of financial institutions that are Web2 or that are not fully decentralized or fully on-chain, I think is appropriate. Again, when you talk about having stable stable coins part of that is the collateral that you choose to have behind it <laughs> we've seen that fully algorithmic stable coins are challenging to maintain peg not impossible but they can be sabotaged you know, there are people who can go bounty hunting with these sorts of things whereas financial institutions in the, in the physical world or you know in web 2 for example one of the few things they have left is a secure store of stuff right whether that's a vault for cash or whether that's a secure store of money etc and can be a capability you can plug into DeFi or a Web3 proposition. I, I like it that way. Um, question also, Mats has come back again. Mats has been busy today. Um, we're looking into real-time payments for delivery of data from nanosensors. Um, is Hedera a good platform for real-time payments? Yes. It's good because it's very fast. It's also good because it's cheap. And it's also good if you're building a real company on this because it's predictable prices. So I'd say all of those are good things. And uh, the consensus service allows you to store information that will then be there forever. Um, there, you can do that on other ledgers by just 
sending somebody some money with a memo and that memo is what you really wanted to store. But with us, you don't have to do that crazy stuff. Just store the memo itself. <laughs> we have a, a way of storing messages. And so you can do this with Hedera in a very nice way. You can also do smart contracts if you need to do something complicated, but you can do native tokens if you want to use tokens that are fast and cheap. And then the smart contracts can reach out and deal with the native tokens. So you get the best, best of both worlds. Uh, so yeah, I would say uh, uh, Hedera is a good platform for that. Very good, love that. Got a, a comment here, more, more of a comment than a question from Dell. I quite enjoy this one, hashtag hello tokenization. A lot, a lot of the comments and a lot of the, the discussion today has been around that. There's, there's some kind of separate comments and threads going on, even within the chat that we won't be able to see because it's going at quite a speed, but people actually debating and coming up with use cases in the comments at the same time as we're talking, which I think is super interesting. Um, I'm going to try and filter to see if there are any more questions, guys. Please do add any last questions you have for Lehman in the chat. While we wait for those last ones to filter through because there's a bit of a delay, I'm going to ask you a left field question, Lehman. Great. It's, it's, it's coming up to holiday season. It is the first of December, second of December today, sorry. Um, what would be the ideal Web3 related gift for a loved one? If you were going to get somebody a Web3 or blockchain or Hedera focused Christmas present, what would you get them? Interesting question. If they are not involved in this world, I would help them set up a wallet and create some accounts on these ledgers I think that right now as an industry, we are still not easy for grandma to use. I would say the best gift you could do for grandma is to get her to be able to use this world and give her some tokens or some crypto, you know, to get her started, but you know, help her to be able to do this and, uh, and warn her against the ones that aren't trustworthy. But uh, maybe I'd say that. I think as an industry, we need to be more user-friendly and easier for non-experts non, um, to use. Uh, we can talk about DREC. I think that we are going to be doing a big push this year on decentralized recovery, which is better than social recovery for helping grandma to never lose her money accidentally when she loses her key. So we can talk about that too. But yes, I think that's the best gift you could do is take someone who is not in the community and help them hold their hand and get them into the community. That's the best gift. I like that. I like that one. While, while we're on it, DREC, We've, that's probably an entire separate show by itself. But for those who haven't heard the term, could you just do a kind of couple of levels down on what does that represent? What are the problems we're trying to solve there? Yes. In crypto, you could put your crypto in a custody service and now not your keys, not your coins. They could steal it. Who knows what's going to happen? Not that that would ever happen, but okay, we had lots of problems. What you can do though is keep it yourself, which means you have your key, which means if you lose your key, you've lost your money and no one can recover it. You can't go to the bank and say, I lost my key, please help me. You can't go to the courts and say, I lost my keys, please help me. It is gone forever until we have quantum computers. So <laughs> what you need to do is have that secret key split into pieces, Shamir's secret sharing, and given to multiple helpers. You need to go out and find helpers. It needs to be super easy to connect with helpers. Just your phone looks at their phone and you become helpers with each other. And so you give it to a bunch of helpers. And if you ever lose your key, then as long as half your helpers are willing to help you, they can help you recover your key. That's really important. But that's not all. It is vitally important that if this, my key is on my phone and you're my helper showing, storing a piece of it on your phone, absolutely, you need my phone to talk to your phone every night, invisibly, behind the scenes, and say, do you still have that piece of the key? Are you still alive? Have you been lost? Have you been erased? Have you been destroyed as a phone? You've got to do that. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're going to have 100 helpers. They're all going to lose your stuff. And then when you finally need your key, you won't have any helpers at all and you're dead. So we've got to have that. 
And then you can easily do a decentralized custody as well, where you say, that's so great, I'm not gonna hold my key. They'll just have pieces of my key whenever I need to transfer funds, they can jointly sign it with the key they don't have. Uh, there's cryptographic ways of doing that. They can do a, a joint process where they sign it. And so they can do the transfer and I can't do it by myself. I have to get half my helpers to help me. So that's decentralized cold storage, decentralized custody. But you can also do the normal thing where I have my key, I can use it all the time. But if I ever lose it, my helpers can recover it for me. And you also want it to not be on chain who the ledgers are. You don't want that to be on the ledger. You don't want people to know who your ledgers are, helpers are. And they shouldn't know who each other are very much. Um, so that's DREC. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the near future. Thank you so much for that. Again, a really interesting and very, very concise and very easy to, to access description. And again, the, the problem there, I was, I was having a conversation on this exact topic about an hour and a half ago with a colleague of mine who's building a decentralized exchange and talking about um, how to make sure that they could demonstrate as an exchange that they could not do anything nefarious with, with, the, with the funds of the users because the keys are, are kind of fully distributed and then and no individual user has access to keys. Um, really, really powerful. Um, I've got a question here from Oliver. We've got a couple of minutes left for the last couple of questions. Uh, what's your take on smart contracts? Are they a realistic part of the ecosystem or are they constrained by the Oracle problem? Discuss. Okay. Several different things. Discuss. So first of all, anything you put at the native layer is going to be faster than a smart contract. So we have smart contracts that can run Solidity, standard ERC-20, ERC-721. You can do that. But you know, it's slow and expensive compared to native layer. So we also have native layer tokens. And so what you really want is a world with both. So you mostly live at the native layer, but then on the rare occasions you have to do a really complicated thing that involves tokens, then you use the smart contract. So that's what you wanna do for efficiency. Now you can also do sharding and you can just do everything on smart contracts, but it's inherently going to be better to do something that takes less processing and is faster and cheaper and, and so on. So that's part of it. Then you also said you're constrained by the Oracle problem. So there are multiple Oracle problems here. Uh, one is, how do I know on one ledger what's happening on another ledger? And one of the answers is, we'll set up a bridge that creates an oracle on this ledger, uh, giving it information, and it all the people in the bridge jointly sign the message saying, yes, that really is what that other ledger said. Well, that's terrible. You have to trust the bridge. And the bridge probably doesn't have all the trust that you would have in a ledger. What you really want is for the ledger itself to be able to send a message to another ledger that is digitally signed in a way that you know it was the consensus of the majority of the sending ledger. This is really important. Once you have that, it is possible to have the ledgers themselves bridge with each other. We'll talk about the interledger communication protocol that we're doing uh, that uses state proofs. But then you can easily have an oracle telling you what's happening on another ledger and there's not a problem. It's fast, it's cheap, it's automatic. It's ABFT, if the individual ledgers are ABFT, that's how we'll do sharding. Our sharded system will be ABFT, the whole system will be ABFT because of this. It solves all that problem. Then you have another problem. What about real world things? I want to have today's temperature in Kansas be an input to my smart contract. How do I get that? Obviously, you're going to have to trust the people measuring the temperature in Kansas. But again, it should be possible for them to be able to digitally sign things that then get combined into a single signature. And then you know that five of my 10 measurement guys in Kansas agreed. Um, and so that costs something. Anytime you measure the real world, that costs something. But again, eventually society is going to do this because then you have the information available to ledgers and it makes everything else more efficient. So ultimately, 
every part of society will have at least some things being measured and solving the Oracle problem. Love that. A breakdown of the Oracle problem, a discussion of how do we solve physical to digital and digital twins at the same time, all wrapped up into Oliver's into response to Oliver's question. Oliver, thank you again. Um, regular contributor and someone who always always brings the interesting and useful questions along. So thank you for that. I've got one time for one more. I think there's I, I, I've still got a whole thread full of questions here, and I'm really sorry to guys. We couldn't get through all of them during the session, but we'll, we'll take the last one here from Alexander. Um, increased network usage. So how does increased network usage? through blockchain applications affect TPS on Hedera. We've seen some sad issues on Ethereum. We've seen congestion appear on a number of different chains, some chains going down, or you're seeing you know, delays in transactions and so on and so forth. How does Hedera addressing that particular challenge? Again, we do things the right way. We test our software on networks of lots of computers at 10,000 TPS to make sure, will 10,000 TPS actually work? Will the latency become a million years? Will they crash? Will some computers fall behind and drop off? We look for all those problems. And so we make sure that our code that is running on mainnet right now has been stress tested. In fact, we stress test for very long periods. We have a test net where we put it for a long time, but we don't stress test that one as much. But we also have networks that we run for long periods, stress testing it to make sure that when we say 10,000 TPS, we actually mean 10,000 TPS. We're not just going to say that because we did it once on three computers. We have big networks that we tested on to make sure it's true. And every time we make code changes, every month when we deploy code changes to mainnet, we make sure that on a testnet, it is 10,000 TPS. This is a major goal for us. Um, and then, you know, when actual usage gets close to 10,000 TPS, we may raise that limit. Right now, it's throttled down to 10,000. And then when it gets too high for us to even handle, we'll go to sharding. And as I said, because of state proofs, the sharded ledger will be ABFT, just like each of the little shards are ABFT. Lehman, it just leaves me with one final comment from Stephen here, which is thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully those who are tuning in enjoyed your kind of take on what it takes to grow a blockchain, what we've seen in 2022, what you look forward to next year, advice for builders, all of the Q&A we've had. Thank you so much for taking your time. I know it's precious. Good luck for the rest of this year. Good luck and shout to the rest of the Hedera and Swirls teams. And see you soon. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there.